Here comes the prestige. In honor of the worst summer of the decade, what's your most anticipated fall film? I'm Joanna Robinson. My choice is Inherent Vice, and haters gonna hate other people on this list, so... I'm Dave Gonzalez, and I say The Box Trolls, because any Leica is immediately my most anticipated film of the year, period. I'm Matt Patches. No one's going to hate on Inherent Vice, Joanna. Nobody. Um, but I'm actually going to go with Whiplash, a movie I've already seen, but I can't wait for other people to see it, because I care about people, unlike this guy, the next guy. <laughs> wow. I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with Bennett Miller's Foxcatcher. Because not, not that it's necessarily my most anticipated film, but I've rewatched Moneyball so many times over the past years, and it grows every time I see it that uh, I look forward to watching Foxcatcher many times in the future already. Foxcatcher is going to be really good, I think. I agree. Foxcatcher. 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 Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you, it's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, hello, strangers, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's a podcast about movies and stuff. This is episode 38 for Tuesday, September 2nd, 2014. My name's Dave Gonzalez, and we've apparently killed off Katie Rich from Sob and Gone. But apparently, also, we've gotten tons of good reviews because these guys have been rocking it while I've been gone. David, let me know how good our good reviews are. Well, I guess we could call them good reviews. <laughs> Definitely reviews. Uh, wait, did I read the one... <laughs> Did you read the one about uh, performance art last week, or is that new? I believe that's new. Last week, right. we had one gentleman who gave us one star who okay. disliked no, everybody no, but Joanna. No need to spend more time on this segment than we okay. already did. All right, got it. Uh, the first, thank you for your kind uh, or unkind iTunes reviews. The first from Noodled Forks Tune calls us the Dom Perignon of film snobbery. I usually can't stand snobs of any variety, but people who don't appreciate David Ehrlich are missing the point. Uh, people... David Ehrlich is playing a character. His athletic masterpieces of trolling are a form of performance art. Will he acknowledge this? Of course he will not. To do so would be to pollute the pure space in which he performs his high-wire act of critical outrage. Well, I say snob on, you crazy diamond. So you're, you're Stephen Colbert? Is that right? <laughs> I, apparently. Open our eyes to the profundity of Lucy, a disgusting stench of corruption that infuses everything we hold dear. Oh, and Katie Patch's Joanna is great, too. Wow, well... That's certainly something. Then we have my personal favorite review from the Will 42. Want to listen to Matt Patch's Get Louder? <laughs> One of my favorite podcasts. Great balance of viewpoints from the host. I love what they choose to review. The best part, though, is when someone has a minor disagreement with Matt. The quotations, Mr. Patches himself. His voice grows to Hulk-like size, and you can hear very clearly what Matt has to say. It's a marvel. It's like a unicorn you get to see every week. He's like our own Michael Caine. A unicorn. Uh, <laughs> Wow, the sorry. unicorn we you also, get to see every week. Wow. We also, in the mood for clubs, says, unleash Katie. Uh, yada, yada, minor quibbles. <laughs> yada, yada, Anjali. Yeah, <laughs> David is insufferably cynical. Patches often confuses me. Uh, each yes. member of the group, compliments, whatever. There's a nice report and a decent sp spread of opinions talking into consideration. If I had one real concrete complaint, it would be that I feel Katie is too often drowned out by Patches and David. We have drowned her out so much <laughs> that she is not even on the podcast this week. <laughs> I'm sorry. We have week. listened to your reviews, and this week, everything you wanted. And finally, uh, yep. 
by Jesus, who says, come for the patches, stay for the Earl. Like, it was a very flattering week for you guys. Thank you. Uh, come Labor for Day me. For, I'm, I didn't yeah. realize. I was, I was worried for, the past uh, few reviews have really not appreciated. Uh, but now that we've just, But Jesus approves. So, yeah, thank you know. God. And that's who you so want to approve, right? Patting our own backs at the top of this episode. I'm sure that next week's episodes will just be reviews rather. Let's get to brutal. the fury. So we look forward to that. Thank you, everybody. On with the show. Hulk. segment today we uh, we're calling it how bad was this summer really <laughs> eight people just walked out and the, everyone yeah. just walked out but the tone is is one of questioning interrogating the claim that this truly was the worst summer ever or at least the worst summer since 1997 which at least it was financially as the new york times article clarified for us uh, a new york times article that may have uh, not you know not been entirely thorough especially in regards to uh, global successes. We've talked ad nauseum about the success of the Transformers franchise and, and uh, how American box office is no longer telling the full story. But be that as it may, there have also been a lot of criticisms that this was a terrible summer, critically, artistically as well. Uh, and I would be interested in taking the opposite side of that and, and looking at the bounty that this summer did have to offer. Um, I mean, I will start the ball rolling by saying that the summer kicked off with a very satisfying blockbuster right off the hop if we are going to go by the probably, at this point, antiquated idea that summer begins the first week of May. Uh, but Godzilla roared into theaters and <laughs> was, was, it remained uh, probably the most satisfying blockbuster that I've seen this year. And right off the bat, I thought the summer season was, was going strong. I don't know. What do you guys think? I am so happy to hear you say that, A, because I'm so happy we could agree on a movie, and B, that movie's Godzilla is amazing. I completely agree with you. I think that it's weird. This year, I think we saw a wider window for movies that want to see. Granted, a lot of them didn't make uh, the box office that we'd expect from summer movies, but the fact that like the Lego movie hit us in, like what, February, and that consistently since then... We'd be we've been getting different number one movies at the box office. Now I don't know financially what necessarily that says about what people are going to see, but I do know that that says that at some every week for like at several months this summer, we had the masses were going to see a different movie. So yeah, there is, might be as masses a euphemism for fat people. I mean uh, maybe uh, no really boy. we're looking at. Uh, Latino women, if we want to talk about demographics, but they're they're certainly not mass with weight. Um, uh, you gotta be nice to them. That's that's what I've learned. Uh, but yeah, just like the the way that this summer started, every week there'd be a different number one movie is bad for the business of movies. But I feel good for like people actually going out and seeing something they wouldn't normally see. Like I don't know how you guys got buzzed with something like Tammy because we all live in this uh circle of critics and people who actually like to see good movies but i was amazingly surprised how often people would bring it up like several weeks after it came out it had like 
a certain degree of legs that I wasn't thinking for a weird Melissa McCarthy, uh, Sharon Stone uh, road movie, as far as I could tell. There's just it's all sorts of these little surprises in summer where it's like the 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 lower bar raised to the mid ground and the high bar sort of plummeted also to that same mid ground. So everything was like a wash, but I don't I think things got more of a chance that wouldn't have gotten if we had, you know, like an avatar or something steamrolling everything for like an entire month in the middle of the season. Well, I don't think the big movies plummeted the way people have been talking about you know you see a lot of statistics that this is the worst summer in in many years but you have to consider that last year was like iron man 3 fast and the furious 6 monsters university a pixar movie that's a big deal and this this summer didn't really have those kind of juggernauts even something like x-men is kind of clawing back that's from... not true because it had like it had transformers Two like two Marvel movies, if we want to ca- count Captain America. Well, we don't we want to count Captain America, and that's really important because people are kind of still Stretching honing in on a summer season that doesn't really exist anymore. So we can't really count Captain America. But as then much there's as an X Men like film, a Spider Man film. Like I'm not saying they delivered, but I well, what, I, I don't what I'm saying say, they're all in the top ten, definitely. Well, what all I'm saying is that the X Men film has performed really well, and Spider Man and Transformers are the kind of disappointments, but they still performed huge. Globally, and those movies, I mean, the Spider-Man movie was coming off a kind of underperforming first entry, and so was X-Men. First Class didn't do that well as t- in terms of these blockbusters, and Godzilla overperformed. Uh, Dawn of the Planet Apes snowballed a, like a $100 million gross from Rise of the Planet Apes into a $200 million gross. There's a lot of success stories here. Guardians of the Galaxy but- is another success story, and I think that people are, are comparing it to you know, 2013, which was this gargantuan year, even like Great Gatsby, which is a Leonardo DiCaprio vehicle. You don't have that. You have Maleficent, which is a, a, a not a really known property, but you have Angelina Jolie kind of helping that one overperform. It's a lot of smaller success stories, including things like Lucy doing really well this summer. And how is what you're saying different? How's what you're saying different than what I'm saying? Well, I'm, I'm just saying that it's. You, it sounded like you still think that the big blockbusters are failing, and there's disappointment this summer. I don't really see a mm. whole lot of disappointment, especially uh, as David mentioned, critically uh, speaking. Last well, summer, to... if you do the like Rotten Tomatoes breakdown, uh, they do a summer scorecard each year, and if you go to yeah. last year's scorecard, the, the first blockbuster you hit in that kind of top 50 movies of the, the summer is Star Trek Into Darkness at number 8, right? <laughs> uh, and in this year, you have a ton of the, uh, the big blockbuster movies being in the kind of top 10 next to Boyhood and Snowpiercer, you see Guardians of the Galaxy, How to Train Your Dragon 2, X-Men, Edge of Tomorrow, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. These are here's positive movies. These movies, you know, clearly they, they came out. They made money uh, according to the completely fallacious metrics over at Rotten Tomatoes. They were critically appreciated uh, in a way that... <laughs> we also critically appreciate them here summers. on the podcast. We, but I here's my question. Snowpiercer's number two. Boy, okay, sorry. Here's my question. Loved it. Do you share my impression that aside from Guardians of the Galaxy, the big hits of the summer did not register culturally in a way that they have in previous years? Because I my and again, like, you know, I have my own blinders on and my own uh, uh, filters through how I'm perceiving the culture. A lot of it comes through the people that I choose to follow on Twitter and, and, you know, whatever sort of ambient uh, things I overhear around me, but my impression is that something like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which was culturally, uh, it was rather critically uh, loved, 
was almost instantly forgotten, in part because the movie was so clean and, uh, and simple. Uh, thematically, that there was really nothing to chew on or discuss. And I think that I see that with a lot of the movies, that they just sort of, they even the ones that were beloved were were sort of digested and, and excreted. And uh, only, you know, it was hardly my favorite movie of the summer, but but that God helped the girl, uh, God helped the girl, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> uh, you can understand why I have the confusion, uh, is the only one that really broke through and that you hear people talking about everywhere you go and, and seems to have made a lasting impression. I, mean, I don't, I don't I'm see not it being different. Well, I mean, if you look at, like, the t- Neighbors is the highest grossing film that's an original was, property. Yeah, I was going to say that Neighbors, I think, has some weird legs. And it's actually my favorite success story of the summer because um, – or late spring because – yeah, original property and also just something that I didn't expect. Like I thought I knew what Neighbors was going into it and I was surprised, pleasantly surprised by it. I've already talked about that on this very podcast about how I feel about Neighbors. But I like, I, I think that or some of the other smaller films that we've talked about, like what if um, I liked t- two-thirds of Snowpiercer a lot. <laughs> like I think that there are some smaller triumphs and I think that's sort of what – Dave Gonzalez is saying in terms of like raising the the mid bar higher. David, I yeah. think you'll end more up, from neighbors than I. I think you'll end up seeing more of the summer movies on people's like top ten lists at the end of the year. People will come back to Dawn of the Planet Apes. There's just so many movies to get through each week, and that's why it's not sticking. And I feel like that's every summer. I mean, people weren't talking about Iron Man three a ton by July of last year, and everyone loved Iron Man three. Well, most I mean, people. I don't loved, think you're living in a world most where people, people are that. fine with the Mandarin reveal. Or, okay, I'm, I'm not talking about the, the, the Marvel. Cult my, my impression is like, of course, people aren't talking about Dawn of the Planet Apes now because like, who could possibly remember? that garbage six weeks later but people weren't talking about it the week after it came out it feels and i think a large part of that was actually comic-con um and just mm. all the people who make this yeah you're in the minority on you have to were, remember that. uh were, well i'm not this is not a critical evaluation i'm i'm saying that i <laughs> the guardians of the galaxy which is not a film that i i liked as you know uh is the one that i've been bidding was able to sort of transcend uh you know break into sort of a higher strata of culture but i think that I, my impression was that uh, never before has a movie been able to make as much money as something like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes did and be as quickly you know, forgotten by the others other, as it was. Well, what about that? I, I, have no, I have no evidence to point that out. This is just my impression of my empirical impression. Of- <laughs> I, I don't think that I could argue that it's as quick, but I was surprised. Someone brought up recently how little Man of Steel has made an impact. And I know that's my own personal Zack Snyder prejudice sort of crowing about that. But I like that movie. It, uh, that's okay. Well, but we can fight about that later. But, but like Henry Cavill, Henry Cavill hasn't become like a star as a result of it. Like, Superman unlike, never becomes a star. <laughs> you know, as talk to well, Brandon. But, like, sh- but shouldn't he? Like, shouldn't he have? If if this one was so popular, if this is the beginning no, not, of a no, big it's not franchise, a movie's not about him. We talk about it's the same thing we talk about when we talked about last week about how like Robert Downey Jr. is is barely a movie star, even though he's revered as Iron Man. How nobody gives a shit about the Judge. Nobody gives a shit about about Brandon Ruth or Henry Cavill. I care about Superman. Uh, no, and I think Marvel, Man of Steel I, I, is a hateful, terrible thing. And people mm-hmm. still continue to talk about it because it at least stirred some controversy, which uh, something like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes failed to do. Well, it you made know, Superman the, a hateful, the, terrible Marvel, thing. All the Marvel actors have made more of an impact than Henry Cavill. And maybe that's just the nature of Superman and that's fine. But I'm just saying that, like, it is interesting to me. Like, here is the proposed rival franchise and its main 
you know, alleged anchor is not entity, basically. Well, yeah, I'm, they made Cal Drogo Aquaman, so that's what you're dealing okay, with. Okay, but let's let's we we only have a little bit of time left on this segment. Let's bring it back to the subject at hand, which is uh, the quality of the summer overall. Let's talk about some of the smaller movies. I think every summer always has some under the radar gems that uh, do wind up invariably on, on people's either Netflix queues or top the top of the year lists. And for this summer, we had films like Ida, Start Up, Palo Alto. Um, and of course, Boyhood, which was just a huge success, that's going to leave theaters having cleared more than twenty million dollars theatrically, which is insane. Better than Sin City um, too, and yeah. I think we can all be yeah. proud of humanity for that. Yeah. And we can also be proud, along those same lines, that the Zach Braff movie absolutely bombed. So I think, on the strength of that alone, this can't have been thought of as the worst summer in movie history. I mean, at least we took down Zach Braff. Kiss me hard before you go Summertime sadness I just wanted you to know The baby the best I got my red dress on tonight Dancing in the dark in the All right, for our mini segment tonight, we are going to be doing movie trivia, summer movie trivia. Uh, 13 random, and I have to admit, not especially interesting questions about the movies of the summer. It's very reflective uh, of you as a, yeah, as a host. We as a are. We, this is going to be a slightly extended mini segment, but I'm going to ask the questions first to Matt, then to Joanna, and then to Dave. There'll be three rounds, I believe, and uh, one tiebreaker question. The first question goes to Matt Patches. Matt Patches. Okay. Multiple choice. How much money did Dinesh D'Souza's America gross theatrically? Oh, man. Was it A, 10 million, B, 14 million, C, 18 million, or D, 22 million? Um, I don't think this was as successful as 20. What was the. I was gonna, about to call it 2046. I think that's incorrect. <laughs> 2060. 2060. 2060 was his first one. Uh, what, was, what was the first, the low option? 10 million? 10, 14, 18, or 22? I'm going to go with 14 million. That is correct. Woo! Oh! That is correct. I was going to go all the way low, but... Yeah, I set the bar with a correct answer really early on. That's no yes. good. Joanna, another yeah. financial question. What Hi. has made more money at the American... Or has grossed more money, I should say, at the American box office? Hercules or The Purge Anarchy? I'm going to go with The Purge Anarchy. That's correct. Oh, my. Oh. See, there's a movie Hercules. no one's going to forget. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Purge. The uh, masses Hercules that you guys were weirdly talking about before. The masses love their Purge movies. They do. Yeah, that was weird. I didn't, I didn't make it racial and strange. Dave did, just for the record. 70 million? Uh, 70 million for The Purge? Hercules grossed 70 million. Oh. The Purge grossed 71. Wow. Barely edged that I think that's Dave. sequel. I, I think that'll push the sequel forward, right? Third, complete the trilogy. The Purge, the, the third trilogy. Yeah. The soundtrack to what summer movie became the first film soundtrack ever to reach number one on the Billboard 200 without featuring a single original song. Without featuring a single original song, that'd be Guardians of the Galaxy. That's correct. Wow, Ooh. these are too easy. I, th- I actually thought Fault yeah. might have been the sneak answer there, but no. Mm-hmm. All right, Patches. 
Oh, God. Benicio Del Toro has described his character in Guardians of the Galaxy, the Collector, as blank in outer space. This is not a multiple choice question. Oh, I, I could I could do this question. that month. Yeah, do it, um, um, blank in outer space. Uh, he's he's kind of flamboyant. He's mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, I'm gonna go with Andy Warhol. No, I have absolutely no idea. Incorrect. The correct answer was Liberace. Oh, Ooh, I was gonna Liberace. go with Prince. Oh, Prince Liberace. is. He We're does not have some nice threads. Space. <laughs> Number six. This is to Joanna. Mm-hmm. Name the movie that this quote comes from. He looks like J.J. Abrams. He looks good. He looks okay. Oh, no. It's a summer movie from this year, right? Correct. Okay. Um, uh, is it Neighbors? It is. Oh, nice. Oh, oh I just realized I was going to say Monuments Men, but that's a period piece, so they wouldn't know who J.J. Abrams was. <laughs> Correct. Continue Dave, on. Yes. Time travel. This is the first R-rated film to be partially shot with IMAX cameras. Uh, uh, ooh, man. What was the question? One more time. First R-rated film to be partially oh. shot by IMAX cameras. Boyhood. No. <laughs> No, I, I keep trying to guess things, but then I remember stories that I had to write about how they're PG-13 and not R. Just, just horrible. It's not The Expendables 3. I'll give you that. Yeah. I, IMAX? Oh, man, I don't even know what... the what, uh, 300 Rise of an Empire? That is incorrect. That Damn. It's not, not a summer. Guess. Not a summer film. What? Wasn't it, didn't it come out in no, the May? I think it's, uh, that was an April film. Maybe. Um, but the damn, correct you answer is Lucy. Oh, Lucy. Really? Yes. Patches. According like to Gareth that. Edwards, what Tom Cruise movie inspired Godzilla? What got uh, a Tom Cruise movie? Um, I'll go with uh, War of the Worlds. Is that too obvious? It is not obvious enough, I'm afraid. The answer was The Last Samurai. The Last Samurai. What? Wait, what? Do, you, do you have context <laughs> for that? What? How is it the inspiration? Because it's, well, not only is it the Japanese. <laughs> Uh, bond there but he is the last of his kind uh being uh-huh. assaulted by modern weaponry wow <laughs> that was like the last interview of the day for gareth edwards and that hey, hey i'm just the messenger gareth right? edwards learned what japan was because of the last samurai he's like Fun um fact. ken watanabe i don't know Joanne. i saw him in that Joanne. <laughs> yes I'm what ready. what shakespeare play is the line the or is the phrase of the line the fault in our stars from oh um i know this um it's the crack of the fault in our stars if she gets it wrong leave a five-star review on itunes oh god um <laughs> and i oh my god this is deeply embarrassing um i'm gonna i'll go with hamlet that is incorrect the correct answer oh. is julius caesar hmm. <sighs> Uh, that is incorrect. Dave. I thought you were going to read the whole quote. I'm yes. a little disappointed. No. <laughs> uh, he's talking to he's talking to Brutus. It's Julius Caesar. Uh, he doesn't actually say the Dave. line intact. He says "Dear Brutus" in the middle of it. They should have gone with that for the t- title of the movie. <laughs> Fault, Dear, Dear Brutus. Brutus, is not the word "Brutus" is not in enough Shailene Woodley movie titles. Dave, Dave Brutus. Before Maleficent. Yes. 
What was the last film that Angelina Jolie starred in? Salt. Incorrect. The correct answer is The Tourist. Oof. The tourist. Oh, I just Oof remembered the, the Tourist, guys. Right then. I was going to guess Patches. Cradle of Life. Hmm. This, we're going to the final round. Patches has one point. Joanna has two, and Dave also has one. Ooh. Patches verbatim. Oh God, that's never. A what good sign. is the last? What is the last line of Boyhood? Um. Verbatim. Oh, you love this. This is your. This is your. I'll, I'll give you a little. I'll give you a little wiggle room because I don't have it in front of me, and uh, I. The, Quotes vary, but I'll give you a little wiggle room. All right. I think I know the answer. I think it's, um, uh, hey, kid, lost track of time. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is not that. Is that your final answer? That's, yeah. Is that for, that's for <laughs> Tron Legacy, unfortunately. <laughs> so Tron Legacy. It is something to the effect of, like, I see a smoke joint. It's like always right now. Jesus. <laughs> the end. I was going to go with, like, you want to take a hike, because Joanna, a hike. here's a question that's probably the hard question, uh, so I'm not especially confident in you locking up the win here, but James Franco appeared in five movies this summer. Name oh, all. yeah. Okay, so we're counting... Five movies. Five. This uh, is... I don't even think James Franco could do this, to be honest. This is really hard. Are any of them voices? I'm giving her hints now. Oh, is I don't that, know. Is that a good hint? No, I have absolutely no idea. I, I was curious for clarification for everyone listening out there contemplating this. Okay, let me see what I can do. David's not given that clue. <laughs> no clues. <laughs> no clues. <laughs> Hulk. Name one. Yeah, do I even have any? Um, uh, oh, yeah, I come mean, on. I could, I could do two. Uh, oh, The Sound of the Fury. No. 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 That's about to play <laughs> Toronto. Hasn't even premiered yet. Oh, then I've got nothing. Uh, I literally realize. nothing. Yikes. Well, the fact that one. I typed the same one twice, so I only have four. I need to go <laughs> find out the fifth one. Uh, beep, 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 Palo Alto beep, is one of them. All right, all right. The quick, the great, Palo Alto, actually, Dawn of the Planet, Planet of the Apes. Um, uh, oh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, no. it appears in picture form. Uh, it's good, only good it's people? only four. I apologize. It's only four. Joanna didn't name any, so she's still wrong. No, okay. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> I need one that's not out yet. So. Oh, Veronica Mars. Boom. That, that that's was not, that's a, not a summer movie. Veronica Mars is not, not a summer. summer. Oh, okay, never mind. The correct answers were Child of God, Palo Alto, Third Person, and in a cameo appearance. Dawn of the Planet of yeah. the Apes. Yeah. I should have gone Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and Palo Alto. Yeah, third at person least. is a piece of shit. Pretty <laughs> embarrassing. Did anyone see that movie out there? But I'm yeah. still winning, right? Dave, to yeah, bring I can this tie to it up. Tie, yeah. Nicolas Cage, this is much easier. This is going <laughs> to sound biased. It's so much easier. Nicolas Cage was in a movie this summer. What was it called? <laughs> uh, the, the, the one you saw with Nicolas Cage because, uh, okay, hold on. I'm, I, I, have to, I have to think about this. Uh, Nicholas Cage was in a movie. Uh, it's not. It's not Left Behind, even though I've watched that trailer so many times because I can't believe he's actually fucking in that movie. Um, Joe, even though we reviewed it, was last year, correct? Correct. Joe. I mean, Joe. I'm reluctant to help you, but you're correct. Okay. Um, then. <laughs> 
Rage? That is correct. Yes. What is rage? Rage. Who can I'm not really sure you get that. Because... <laughs> That's fine. What is rage about? That's a tie, right? right? Is that it's just him walking there's around there's growling? We at least have to fight it out later. I have, I have one tie. I, I have one tiebreaker answer that was going to be the first question, but I decided not to ask it because I thought it was too easy. But uh, just for fun, because I have it here, I'll pose it to Joanna. If Joanna gets it wrong, we'll give it to David and Family Feud style. Nice. Joanna. Tammy was co-written and directed by Melissa McCarthy's husband. What is his name? Ben Falcone? That is correct. Oh, bravo. Oh, bravo. I would have not gotten but, it. I bowed to oh, Joanna. Wow. wow. She wins. I was going to say that we're just going to call this a draw, but Dave, uh, chivalry no. not dead. There you go. <laughs> Congratulations, Joanna. Congratulations. Joanna whiffed the Shakespeare and the James Franco questions, but Melissa McCarthy's husband on it, all over it. No yeah. problem. Got it. Got it. I say I'm too late. Got nothing in my brain. That's what people say. Mm-hmm. That's what people say. Mm-hmm. I go on too many dates, <laughs> but I can't make them stay. At least that's what people say. Mm-hmm. That's what people say. All right, so for segment three tonight, we are talking about – well, we're talking about two things that we're hoping like a uh, – what was the name of the, the, the writer in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Johnny Gossamer. Like a Johnny Gossamer story will start out like totally separate things but eventually become one. Wow. Why, uh, why wasn't that a trivia question? Because the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang came out like five years ago. Oh, yeah. Not applicable whatsoever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Let's do fall movie uh, trivia from five. There years was ago. like a diet version of it that came out last year called Iron Man Three that was just less good in every conceivable Dis. way. More Dis. explosions. Um, all right, so uh, for Not starters, we are going to be talking about a film uh, that is coming out, I believe, next week. Uh, that played yeah, September twelfth. September 12th, that played at Cannes this year and uh, is starting to make the rounds by Pascal Ferran called Bird People. Uh, Bird People is – this is a, a movie that uh, it's almost impossible to discuss without spoiling, at least in the context what? in which we are to discuss it. Because we're talking, we're talking about special effects and – Well, you could just describe well, it to okay. me because I've been moving and so I have no idea what you guys okay. are talking actually, about. I, actually, I'll, 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 I'll side with Patches. What? And I think that <laughs> maybe – Maybe we can approach this in a way that doesn't entirely spoil the movie. Bird People is uh, a strange little drama about two people uh, in Paris in a hotel right by Charles de Gaulle Airport. One is played by Josh Charles, who is a Good American business, right? Uh, you know, Dead Poet Society fame, whatever. Who is uh, on vacation? Force my fame, whatever. He's on a vacation. I'm sorry. He is uh, <laughs> on a work trip in Paris, and he abruptly decides to quit his job. Maybe leave his wife. I can't remember. Um, yes. But he, yeah, leave his He's wife. He's abandoning yeah, his like, whole family and just yeah, staying. He, he has a long conversation with his wife, who's played by Robin Mitchell over Skype. And he's like, I've just like woke up one day and had like a Lester Burnham like epiphany. And like, I can't do this. But it's not quite that clear cut. Anyway, there's another character named Audrey, who's pretty, who's played by Anais de Mostier, uh, who is a French uh, employee at the hotel. She's a maid. And their lives sort of intersect in a uh, fable-esque sort of way. The I will say the second half of this movie relies 
very, very strongly, unexpectedly, on special effects. The uh, there is a the, the second. <laughs> um, uh, you're not okay, spoiling it. Me, you're not spoiling give, it let, let, to say that it's heavy on words. the bird. Is it's, it like mm-hmm. magical realism? Is it fantasy? Is it like it's it's I'd say it's both? magical. Yes, realism. there's magical realism, magical. and it involves birds. Realism. It involves a bird involves flying around. Okay. Yeah, the, the 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 there's a lot of there's a bird that flies around in the second half of this movie, and the bird is, uh, um, and we'll link you on our website to the video that we're about to reference. There's a special effects video over at Filmmaker Magazine that you should check out just for context, but. Uh, most of the bird, if not all of the bird, is comprised of uh, its computer effects. It's not a real bird, and it would have to be because there's no bird in the world that's trained to, to do the precise things that this bird is required to do in the movie. And watching it, while the movie has other charms, and I recommend you see it on its own merits, uh, you know, it's on its merits as a story rather than on its technical merits, the special effects, I really think, are incredible. I, they create a, uh, a believable bird who interacts in the real world in a way that is critical to the story um interacts with real characters uh and the special effects they're subtle they don't they they do make you think that okay i i understand that they couldn't have trained a bird to do the things that this bird is doing but what if they're not the the motions are not so extreme that they don't um, they don't rule that out as a possibility where you're like part of your brain, uh, the part of the brain that really doesn't want to suspend disbelief is saying like, okay, maybe this could be real. Maybe they just got extraordinarily lucky and they got like the Sir Lawrence Olivier of birds, but they, uh, I want to meet that it, bird. It's really, yeah, I want yeah, that bird to have that name actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, sir. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, it's really incredible. And it just got me thinking that these kind of effects, the kind of effects that a movie relies on, but are, seamless and and intelligently deployed they don't get their power by uh, their max uh sort of like their their um what's the word I'm looking for here max uh it's just a conjugation that's escaping me um we are not on board with whatever this. no maximum? no maximum maximum maxim not maximum but like max the adjective of maximal yeah, sure. It's not <laughs> maximal. It's, it's not like watching a, a Marvel movie or Godzilla or something like that where the special effect is the star. Um, although the role that the special uh, computer-generated creature has in this movie is just as, if not more, critical. Uh, but it's it's done in a way to blend it into the world. And I think this is the kind of special effects work that you see sometimes ambiently in the background that without even seeing it's quite invisible in the background of films like zodiac or something like that which is painting in the skyline which is one especially memorable example although it happens you know uh, constantly in in filmmaking now uh, both commercial and independent filmmaking uh, but i think this is the kind of special effect that deserves awards attention if i concern myself with such things that deserves uh, I, I think it, it's so much more interesting about the possibilities for cinema that it unlocks. And I think thinking about special effects in this light, um, it, it will open filmmakers' minds to the kind of stories that they can tell, that they have the power to tell now. And I think it's really fascinating, and I think it's a shame that this sort of thing is, is overlooked. Um, and well, I think what you have to understand so in, in regard to that is that when it comes to the visual effects Oscar or when it comes to the VES awards every year, I mean, these are the entertainment industry, the big organizations, the big visual effects companies giving themselves awards. So that's why you always see 
you know, like Life of Pi or Gravity or in Avatar. Um, but that does that does trickle down to the public's perception of what special absolutely. effects well, I mean, are. It would be really easy to just move some of the technical Emmys into the main broadcast because people are getting so used to stuff with, like, Game of Thrones now or even Breaking Bad had, like, a great deal of what we would consider special effects work in its final season. Um, but really, all the times that we end up talking about it as a culture are when they're gigantic leaps forward. It's like Jurassic Park made dinosaurs out of nothing, and Rise of the Planet of the Apes made Andy Serkis into a monkey, and even to before that, you know, Gollum should have been nominated for Best Supporting because, oh my god, we've never seen anything like it. Where I really think it's just like people... We we went from a, an era where like Forrest Gump was winning the best special effects Oscar for like a very subtle special effects in comparison to what it is now, but then it just became all this consumer product made it so much easier, and it sort of like uh, we would get special effects in our TV or even our TV commercials now. Uh, a lot of the best special effects works I see are definitely a lot of the best comping work, which is where you take individual things and make them look like they're part of the frame. Is done is done on television, so I just kind of feel like people need to realize at least David. What David, what you were talking about is filmmakers need to realize they could use this, and I think that some people are, especially people that were classically trained. You know, I don't know, twenty years before us to think about things like where you can insert a matte painting or how to deal with uh, wide-angle shots that you can't actually get. Now you could apply those exact same theories but just to every shot. So you don't have to have a matte painter. You could just paint out a corner of something. And it's been really especially interesting for me as somebody who's been watching the superhero movie fandom try to like figure out what it means when Scoot McNary has green legs on the set of Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and then to suddenly realize that people have no idea. Like you could show them as many videos as uh, of you know the making of The Great Gatsby, which has a great special effects reel where it's basically none of it was shot in a real place, and the movie somehow looks vaguely it's organic. Practically, it's practically Sin City. Right, exactly. And then show them something like, you know, uh, Gary Sinise losing his legs in Forrest Gump and, like, Lieutenant Danning it, and them still thinking that the legs are somehow harder to do is uh, mind-boggling to me. That was a, a broad, but I guess I guess if I had to go for a solution, I would say we need so, some recognition in the more commercial, or the more popular genres as to what this work actually is so people can kind of understand it. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, while, while the last thing I want to do is dissuade filmmakers from, uh, you know, using practical effects when all, at all possible, especially um, when the effects are meant to stand out, I think uh, that it, more often than not, practical effects have a, a much more palpable, visceral uh, impression. You can smell them a lot better, where I think that all this CG effects, uh, especially in like horror films, tend to feel very sterile to me. But I do want to call renewed attention to the little the little things and in the case of bird people a big thing in a very little form that makes these movies that uh you know i I just i would do anything to to reorient the the rhetoric away from looking at you know gravity is a bad example because gravity did have very impressive special effects but just automatically confusing or conflating best special effects with most special effects yes and and that's, I think, where the, the problem lies. And I think that, um, uh, you know, there, 
even the, the quantity of special effect shots in Bird People might be pretty high, uh, but they're still organically interwoven into the film in a way that they don't jump out. Um, and you could have this conversation until you're blue in the face and take it all the way back to Bazan and and you know the theory, the myth of total cinema and everything like that. But uh, I don't even I don't think that's necessarily uh, necessary in the here right. and now. I think that it's really just about talking about how. Well, and also special effects need to be pulled back in order to feel more special. But, but it's also true that special effects open up doors. Like I am on record as being very anti big CG and very into practical effects. But you know, the bird and it's bird brave people of you. is oh, thank you. I, you know, it's a controversial stance, but someone <laughs> has to take it. But um, the bird and bird people is crazy impressive. It's really, really great looking. And uh, But it made me think of um, Oscar Isaac talking about Inside Lewin Davis and what a nightmare it was to work with that cat. Um, obviously, you're not going to CG that cat. But maybe not, obviously. I mean... Oh, I thought you were saying that Oscar Isaac was all CG Inside Lewin <laughs> yeah. Davis. No, Oscar Isaac plays really the impressive. bird and bird people is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, Robert I'm just Zemeckis saying actually <laughs> directed Oscar Isaac in... Oh my god. <laughs> see, but see, Robert Zemeckis... Not, and Joanna, I'm sorry, I, I will you to finish your point but robert zemeckis i think is the bad guy no he's he actually not i was about to bring up robert but, zemeckis because one of the most impressive okay. oh, wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's, let's let joanna let's, finish, let's let joanna finish. And we'll talk about robert zemeckis okay <laughs> i guess no i'll you know I'll, all i want to say is that it i will allow that it opens doors to do certain things like have a bird be a metaphor throughout a film that you couldn't do if you were just limited by having actual birds. And I think it is uh, true that it's not just the tool. Maybe maybe the larger point is that it's not just the tool of the Peter Jacksons. It's the tool of the smaller, esoteric, symbolic filmmakers as well, uh, that they might want to think of it that way. So, uh, I like that point. Well, going to Zemeckis and kind of speaking to what all of you guys have been saying is... I mean, part of appreciating these special effects is having this new relationship with the people who craft them. David, I don't think we've ever really had um, time to kind of... Now that we have these videos that show us that Zodiac is so much built on green screen or that uh, the visual artist or the visual effects artist who put together one of my favorite shots um, uh, from Contact, a Robert Zemeckis film, and this kind of really subtle, uh, you see the young girl, whatever Jodie Foster's character's name is in that movie. I don't remember. Ellie. Okay. What I, small moves, Ellie. Whatever. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Where, where are your credentials? I have no, I have no memory podcaster. for that kind of stuff. Uh, but she's running up the stairs in the beginning of the film and uh, running through the hallway. She's trying to get the medicine. And then it kind of like pulls back a little too far. The camera goes further. And then we realize we're looking in the mirror. And all of a sudden, she's opening the medicine cabinet. That's two shots kind of melded together with special effects. Perfect subtlety and, and not calling attention to the fact that it's... It's not bombastic in the way that a, a big CG action fest is, but it's that's precision special effects. And I think I really started to appreciate it more and more when I saw effects artists breaking it down and lauding it and kind of taking to YouTube with dissections of how do we do that kind of moments. And, and that's something we've only really gained recently in the past few years when, and when these artists have kind of come out of the... the uh, the dark rooms where they work, the laboratories, and tell us that this is something they're twisting, they're bending yeah. our minds. Well, and you can also see people learning to use it. So, like, Zemeckis is starting there and then went down the performance capture hole and unfortunately didn't beat Weta to it, so now we're never going to remember him for doing that. But definitely committed to it. And then, like, David Fincher, 
who does, you know, great work, great seamless work in Zodiac, like, was coming out of Fight Club and Panic Room, which have very distinctively CG shots of, like, the camera going through, like, a keyhole or through walls or things that are not even pretending to be actual camera movements. So Very you could seventh see, guest. Yeah, you could see all these directors sort of like, they kind of have to crash the car before they're allowed to like drive it responsibly. And so it's really interesting to me to see somebody like, you know, Paul W.S. Anderson, who got in at the ground floor of doing this commercially and now is able to blow it out to make endless Mila Jovovich Resident Evil movies with I the, wish endless. Apparently, the next one's going to be the last. Well, yeah, I mean, they'll reboot fair, it. She, she, yeah. <laughs> it, it, the point being is that he took a franchise that wasn't completely successful and through his knowledge of how to use these CGI environments and these very subtle effects, was able to make each film profitable enough to continue the series into like part six, I think, is going to be the next one, which was insane because like even the grosses of that film being okay... <laughs> do not cover like percentage wise how much each of those films is completely retreated before we see it i am it, s- oh go oh no i was going to say it's like it's it's a learning process and i'm i'd be interested in what you guys as people who don't necessarily work in a graphics industry what your memories are of like your favorite subtle effect i mean patches has the the contact one. I was also I was gonna also add, I don't know, I get like particularly jazzed whenever actors are playing against themselves in movies and the computer graphic engineering necessary to put like uh, for Cronenberg's Lindsay, Dead Ringers Lin- or something. Lindsay like Lohan that. Or, Parent Trap? Or or parent actually Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan is like a great example. I guess both parent traps fall into that. But I, I remember watching behind-the-scenes videos of the Disney or the Lohan parent trap and just, like, the engineering it took to have them do, like, their clapping routine, the handshake in that movie. It was crazy. And, I mean, it's it's visceral because it takes the actor learning how to do that and interacting with themselves and memorizing the blocking, but then also uh, the effects artist kind of melding it together and making sure it's seamless. It's, it's really impressive. And, I mean, there's a legacy of these movies, right? We've seen Enemy and the Double this year, and um, I, I keep going back to Dead Ringers, which is one of my favorites. And I think the more we see this, I mean, is impressive trickery, but the more we see it moved away from bombast and towards actual effective art, like I think Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, we talked about, yeah, there's plenty of bombast in that film, but there's also this amazing way in which we can empathize with those apes that we couldn't ever do when it was, you know, Roddy McDowell in a rubber mask. And uh, that, that is chalked up to this digital artistry. So... I just, uh, you know, I guess I regret my rigid CG stance because I just <laughs> so often associated it with. Uh, You've already really... gone back on it. You. No, no, I'm just that. That was always my stance, but now with stuff like bird people, what am I supposed to say? It's not. It's not just about <laughs> spectacle anymore. Well, it's about. It's a, to- it's a tool. That's the tagline of bird people. It's a tool, people. and some people abuse it, and some people <laughs> it's don't. It's not just about spectacle <laughs> anymore. I keep September twelfth. This time bird it's people. bird people. <laughs> I keep telling people that regardless of what I think about Zack Snyder and Frank Miller, like Three Hundred is an amazing movie for making that visual style something that was possible to do on a budget. I don't like the fact that he made it so easy to do on a budget because now we get that stuff all the time. 
but I remember seeing 300 for the first time in, like, the theater outside of the mall and being like, what was that that I just saw? Some sort of weird black and white, like, motion graphic movie? It was just, like, insane that this entire world was created on a green screen stage and was built around contrast and, like, they somehow figured out a way to make Frank Miller's weird uh, monochrome art translate to like real physical bodies and gerard butler looked amazing it's like every once in a while you get a movie like that where it makes it look so easy but then every time we do get a movie like that it also happened with jurassic park you just get like a decade of everybody thinking they can do that and missing the forest for the trees being like well just because we have the code doesn't mean that you should use it i think 300 does have its visual striking visual elements of course but like to what end is my question? Like, Gerard Butler looking amazing or Xerxes looking ridiculous? Like, to what artistic end versus, you know, bird people, which is actually a film I haven't seen yet. Da- but David, fair enough. <laughs> is Hugo the movie that does it right on, like, it's still a big movie, but it's it's using CG subtly? I, he- well, when I think of Hugo, I'm much more in, interested and impressed with his use of 3D rather than his use of uh, mm. computer graphics. So... I don't really know to speak to that. Actually, when we saw, I don't know if you were there, I think you may have been at the New York Film Festival secret screening of Hugo. Yeah, the opening the shot was completed. not complete. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, so, like, I've seen it in that, in that animatic state, and it really was more or less the same thing. So, I don't think Hugo is the example that I'm looking for. But we were going to talk about, when I talked at the top of the segment about it being two topics in one, the other half of that was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which we touched upon earlier in the episode. But I guess that would be the, uh, the polar opposite of bird people in some ways um and maybe also really it seems like it aligns with it. in the same way in some ways as well i mean it's like the same principle it's the same idea except for there's a person as uh, opposed to in bird people where there's there's no one behind the bird um but i told uh, you it was oscar isaac all right <laughs> it was oscar but uh yeah i guess it's used to to similar ends except for in dawn of the planet of the ape it's like very much like Look at me. Maybe that's just because of the the size of the film and the nature of the marketing and, and they have and the faces. talking points. Well, I, I mean, think Dawn of the Planet of the Ape is is both. It's both yeah. Transformers and Bird People. Whoa, it's something I, in the yeah. middle because I, it's it's yeah. got that spectacle. It's got you know stuff happening to the Golden Gate Bridge that didn't actually happen to the Golden Gate Bridge, and then it has this hugely emotive performances. These these emotive performances that are captured because of technology. Right. Or right. Well, I mean, the- theoretically, I mean, it has the element where it's essentially applying a digital makeup like we would with prosthetics to somebody, which is going to change how you emote anyway. But it's a masterful acting job because it's actually emoting. But then it also has stuff in the case of Dawn, like they just figured out how to do wet fur. So, yeah, it's kind of misty every time the apes are outside because isn't it cool that we can do that now? And I, I mm. mean, I think that's almost like. That's the way that we want uh, movies or visual effects to move forward is in like these tiny steps that we barely notice because it's like when people try to do things like, you know, the the largest simulated explosion or the most characters having a simultaneous battle where it's like those goals are um, not working towards the storytelling but things like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is nice because you lock in. You're doing it because it helps the storytelling and everything you're able and to sprinkle on top of that is just your, your own talent. There's craft 
to it, too. Yes. I mean, obviously, Andy Serkis is there, but as any uh, of these effects guys would tell you, I mean, they, they're as important as he is in crafting the nuance of, of the details and, and the gestures and the subtleties and the eyes and the face. Um, this is not, you know, as you described, Dave, with these big battle scenes, something like Lord of the Rings. They're running a simulator to do that. That is not, yeah. that's not handcrafted. If we have anything resembling practical effects in the CG world, it's things like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes where it's, it's an animator. It's someone who's going in and touching up frames to make this perfect. Uh, it's very so, different. I mean, you still have some deeply dumb things like the, the showdown with the automated weapons and the apes. Like, you still have those moments that are just spectacle. I, I, but even know, in that movie, call... I can't think of a time where it seems like they're just kind of running an engine, you know? The, even Life of Pi or something like that has the water simulation so that they can get more work done uh, with less time, and it's not going to be perfect. I can't think of a shot in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes that seems evident where they're just like, run this through the computer for two weeks. We'll crank this well, shit maybe, out. Uh, maybe as a way of wrapping up, we can look forward to something like The Box Trolls, which is you know a stop-motion animation film that is uh, based in an art form that historically, traditionally, is all... Uh, done with real models, but the Box Trolls is like his first film to have CG stop gaps used where they 3D printed all the models and that line blurs a little bit further. But um, anyway, maybe this will come up again in a few weeks' time when the Box Trolls come out. Uh, but for now, I think we can all safely conclude that Bird People is in theaters next Friday <laughs> and is a better film than Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Wait, I don't That's know if show. I can conclude that. That's our show, Patches. <laughs> I liked bird people. was another exciting episode of fighting in the war room that included some fighting and virtually no war room but lots of special effects why don't we tell everybody who we are before we come back on friday yes i am matt patches i write all over the internet and try and put everything on mattpatches.com and i'm on twitter at mr patches and remember every one of our each one of our episodes uh, is put on fightinginthewarroom.com where you can leave comments and reactions and, and you can tweet and Facebook everything you can do it all from fightinginthewarrooms.com I am David Ehrlich I'm the editor of large of Little White Lies magazine uh, we just announced our new issue go check it out uh, um, I also write for Resolve Davy Club Complex you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner and you can find all of us together allegedly sometimes on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room my name is Dave Gonzalez. I spell that first part D-A-7-E. You could call us and leave a voicemail that we might play on the show. I think Joanna wanted Simpsons impressions at 914-410-6450. You could find more at me at I hate Dave Gonzalez, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-S, or I love Dave Gonzalez.com, depending on how you feel. Uh, my name they is... Lead to the same place. Yeah, they do. <laughs> All roads leave to Dave Gonzalez. Um, my name is Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Rosebiss. You can also follow Fighting a Worm on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you will find this week's lightning round question, which is... In honor of the worst summer of the decade, what's your most anticipated fall film? And it was great talking to you guys, and we'll see you on Friday where we'll be reviewing something, I'm sure. 
Hulk. Shake, shake, shake.